0: Well, Good day, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Life with Doug. We are back at it today, back in Roman. So glad you could join us. Hey, Megan and Lewis. Good morning, Rob. Uh, yep, yeah, we had a great time at the wedding. Thanks. Uh, it was uh, such a blessing to see this young couple. Unite, and uh, it was it was a great time. Good morning, Caitlin. Hey, Martha in Oklahoma. Hey, Delinquent Dale. Glad you could join us. <laughs> Got your paper yesterday, or the other day. Ready to uh, get out my red ink. All right, so we are in uh, Romans chapter thirteen. Remember this; it's been a while, huh? And remember, chapter thirteen follows chapter twelve. See how that works? And of course, none of those chapters are in the Bible. Those are just things for reference that we have put in. But at the beginning of what we call chapter 12, Paul says, present your bodies as living sacrifices. We are to give all of our being, body and spirit, body and soul, heart, mind, strength, all of it, give it all lay it on the altar, as a sacrifice, a living sacrifice, to God. Yeah, Edgar says, let's review starting chapter one. I'm tempted. Don't tempt me. (laughs) I'll do that. Um, We have a standing joke at our home fellowship that no matter where I'm at, uh, we find our way back to Genesis (laughs) one and then overview the whole, the whole scripture to get to the text we're in. I I like to do that because it's all one story. Anyway, uh, present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God. And then remember he said, don't be conformed to this age don't do that, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Think differently from this age, he says. And then we've been we've been observing all these um, uh, expressions of that, all, all the, the ways that we are to live out the different thinking. And in chapter 13 that we looked at, before our break uh, we saw that we are to submit to the governors the government the rulers which is hard right now the uh, the politics is just sucking all the air out of everything right you had a big Iowa caucus last night for the Republicans and on and on and on and we can get tired of it and there's plenty to um, Plenty bad to point out, <laughs> plenty of things to complain about, uh, plenty of corrupt people. But Paul says, Submit to the governors, for they are God's ordained rulers over this. And picking up in verse 5 For this reason, it is necessary to be subject. It is necessary to submit. Uh, su- to be subject to submit, it's a it's a synonym for obey. It's what we see in Ephesians 5, for instance, with wives to their husbands. It is necessary to subject ourselves, to submit ourselves, to obey the government. Not only because of wrath, but also because of the conscience. Uh, the wrath part, remember, is he said the, so- the, the state wields a sword for a purpose. They are to... condemn evildoers, and the sword is punishment. So he says, submit yourself to the government, not only because of the potential wrath of the government bringing the sword to bear, but also because of the conscience. For because of this, you also pay tribute. The conscience is that sort of inner voice that we have that tells us we we want to do what is right. We want to do what is good and pleasing to the Lord. And so we submit ourselves for conscience sake as well. For because of this, you also pay tribute. That's another word for taxes. We pay our taxes because... The governors are servants of God, ministers. Uh, the Greek word behind this word servant is the word for which, from which we get our word liturgy. Now, we've made liturgy something different in common church practice today than uh, from what it was in the Bible, uh, but that's what he says. These are liturgists. <laughs> These are ministers of God, the governors are, uh, and on this very thing, they're attending continually, so we are to support them. We are to pay taxes to support these full time ministers who are commending the good and condemning the evil. I see Caitlin there says not tyrannical government. Yeah, that's, that's a worthwhile question to entertain. But we just always have to be careful because we can certainly um, start defining tyranny differently from what it should be. In other words, it's easy to get to a place where things we don't like, we call it tyrannical, tyrannical. We just have to be careful with that. Uh, There is a, uh, uh, again, I remind you that the, the government in place when Paul wrote this was not exactly a righteous, upstanding government. So anyway, uh, we talked about this, I think, you know, in a, in a republic, we do have a voice and we should exercise that voice, we should vote and and so on. But don't get swept away with all the uh, propaganda on either side. And take the force away from what the scripture tells us here. All right. So that's, that's what we covered uh, before. Continuing on, he says, render, therefore, to all their dues. To whom tribute, the tribute. To whom custom, the custom. To whom fear, the fear. To whom honor, the honor. So it's still in the context of governors here, of rulers. Pay them taxes or tribute. Pay them the customs that, uh, that they demand. Fear them and honor them as those ministers of God for our good. And then he says, to no one... O anything except to love one another. Now, you hear me harp on context all the time. I I've encountered people who've taken this verse, owe nothing to anyone, and uh, you know, tried to persuade me that all debt, financial debt, is sinful. Uh, maybe it is. I don't think so hope not because I have a mortgage. (laughs) Uh, But I don't think you can make that case from this text. Uh, Yes, there's money involved in the previous verse about taxes, but that doesn't seem to be the point. The point is submit to rulers, they're owed honor, as well as the taxes. And He goes on to say we are to love one another. I think that's the point. I don't think his primary concern here is taking out a loan. There's nothing in the text about taking out a loan. So I don't think that's the point. I think he's saying don't owe anyone anything. If you owe taxes, pay them. Uh, If you owe respect and honor to leaders, pay that respect and honor, right? Say the words and, and treat them accordingly. And then he's transitioning to where he wants to go now. The only debt that you are to maintain is loving one another. Interesting that he uses the term debt here or obligation in the context of love. Have you you ever encountered someone who... Uh, their understanding of grace, and the gospel, and love, those concepts, those biblical Christian concepts, um, who render those concepts as direct opposites to obligation, to work, to duty, those kind of things. That conclusion is a Result of systematic theology, not of exegesis. The scripture does not place love and grace as opposed to duty and obligation. As we've seen through Romans, the the mutual exclusivity of grace and works or, or gospel and works or faith and works is with respect to works of the old covenant law, speaking to the Jews, right? We gotta keep that in context. But the idea that love is an obligation is clear everywhere. The, the very fact that it is in the imperative mood when Jesus or the apostles say, love one another, or in the Old Testament, love the Lord your God and so on, it's imperative, it, it, it's a command. It is an obligation. So it's interesting how Paul uses this terminology. We have this ongoing debt to love one another. You realize that's a debt that can never be paid, right? You love one another. You love your neighbor. And you say, yep, paid that debt. Great. Guess what? (laughs) Tomorrow you wake up and you are under the same obligation to love your neighbor. And the next day you wake up and you're still under the obligation. There's no way to pay off our debt of love to others. It is a constant. And you can't do it enough. Right? I I could pay off my mortgage and then my mortgage is gone. Can't do that with love. So to no one owe anything except to love one another. Why? For he who is loving the other, he has fulfilled law. Again, very interesting when we think about the whole letter of Romans here, how much time has he spent speaking to these Christians who are being influenced by Jewish theology and he has established that we are not under the old covenant law and the law was uh, a tool to arouse sin in the Jews. It condemned them, pointed out their sin and so on and he's made a pretty sharp uh, contrast between faith and that old covenant law. And yet here he says it had, the law had a prophetic element. All right. He used the word fulfill. He didn't, he doesn't say the one who's loving the other has kept the law. You see the difference? In the Old Testament, over and over again, the Jews were told to keep God's law. That's not the word that Paul uses here. He doesn't say, loving one another, you have kept the law, but rather you have fulfilled. It's the same word that Matthew, for instance, uses again and again to talk about fulfilling prophecy. There is a prophetic element here of law that the person who loves another is is fulfilling prophecy that old, those old covenant words, and he explains it for, and then he quotes from the Ten Commandments, or the Ten Words. You will not commit adultery, you will not commit murder, you will not steal, you will not bear false testimony, you will not covet, and if there is any other command, in this word, it is summed up in this, you, yourself, you will love your neighbor as your self. Think about that. Think about how the Jews went astray here. And I'm going to set this up not merely to point out their failure, but we can do the same thing today. But what did the Jews do? They are given these commands by God. And by the time Jesus comes, and it certainly happened centuries before that too, but Jesus shows up on the scene and there was such a, pride in having this law covenant that they really didn't care about the purpose the intent the 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 expected outcome that god had given in laying this law before them they 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 were all about the rules and defining the rules and guarding their interpretation of the rules, that they entire they missed entirely the purpose of the rules. Uh, one of the things that uh, my family does with my brother's family in St. Louis is uh, every year we pick something that is going to be the the theme for our Christmas gifts for one another, and then we get on Facetime and we all open the gifts, and it's it's a uh, it, it's secret. So. You know, I'm, I draw a name out of a hat, and I decide, and that's the person I'm going to buy a gift for in my brother's family, and then uh, whoever opens my gift has to guess which one in my family bought it for them. And this year, the theme was games, card games. So we bought a lot of card games. So we've, we had a lot of fun over the Christmas season uh, playing new card games. And you know, one of the things we have to do with games we've never played before is we have to read all the rules, right? We're trying to figure out what's off limits, what, do we, uh, what are the boundaries here, and how does this game work? Have you ever played a game with someone who is just consumed with the rules and they don't really seem to care about the game itself? That's frustrating, isn't it? (laughs) But there are people like that. And that's, you know, silly when it comes to games, but sometimes I'll admit I'm pretty competitive, sometimes I get frustrated. It's like, wait, okay, yes, we need to play by the rules and call me out if I'm not playing by the rules, but the goal is to win the game. The goal is not to play by the rules. You see the difference? The goal of playing a game is to win. The goal is not to play by the rules, even though you should play by the rules. Well, the Jews did the same thing with the law. They didn't recognize the purpose of the law they got caught up in the rules and Paul says here all these rules don't commit adultery murder false testimony and so on they're summed up in this and and they they are fulfilled in this love your neighbors yourself what was the goal love what what why did God give them the law? And it, he's answered it in different ways already, but here's another purpose for the law. To get to a place where they would love. If I love my wife, am I going to cheat on her? Of course not. If I love other women, am I going to commit adultery with them or lead them into adultery? Of course not. If I'm single and I love a single woman, am I going to commit fornication with her? Lead her into a place where God's discipline or wrath will come upon her? Is that loving? Is that loving her? No, it's loving myself, right? I want my pleasure here and I don't care about the consequences for her. If I love my neighbor, am I gonna take a stuff? If I love others and I'm called upon to give testimony in a courtroom, am I going to lie knowing that my lie may bring harm to the person? Or conversely, if that's the defendant, uh, what about the, the one who's been offended? If I know that this person actually did the crime and I saw it, it's not loving to the victim to lie and say, no, no, I didn't see anything. If I love others, am I gonna want all their stuff? You see the point? God gave a list of rules here. And one of the purposes, the, the end game here was that we would love. There were ways to show us how to love one another. So imagine you're this this Roman church and you've had all these battles about the law, and Paul has has laid it out. You're not under the law, don't let the Jews bring you into the law. The, the law is good, but it was it was enslaving because nobody could keep it and just arouse sin and, and all this. And you, you, you want to have a negative view of the law. And as Paul makes very clear, the negative view should not be of the law, but of sin in the Jew. And after all this, Paul says, however, you can fulfill what the, the law was given for. Love your neighbor as yourself. He says it again as he wraps up love to the neighbor works no ill. The love therefore is the fullness of law. The goal is love. The goal is always love. And we get almost a a, a definition of love here by negation. If you love your neighbor, Paul says, you will not work ill or evil or bad things for them. So we can kind of invert that and say, okay, then on the positive side, to love my neighbor is to work for their good. You know the cliche, love is not a feeling. Love is not a sentiment. Love is not looking at somebody and saying, oh, you just make my heart go pitter-patter. or I just really like being around you, etc., no, love is working for the good rather than for the ill of someone else. Sometimes we make this distinction, I have to love you, but I don't necessarily have to like you. And from one perspective, I think that's true. And that's maybe would fit our context here. From another perspective, I think we gotta work to like somebody too. <laughs> but we're commanded to love our enemies, for instance. So it doesn't always include that that affection, right? But the point is, if you love someone, you are not working toward their harm, you're working toward their benefit, their blessing, their good. And that's our obligation. That is an obligation for all of us as Christians. This is another reason that I continue in our home fellowship and I do this with you all to try to knock down some of the walls of f- systematic theology we, we and you know I focus on focus on this a lot right that we, we get so heady and abstract and theoretical and we love to I mean th- the truth of the matter is when I uh, put some provocative titles and thumbnails on our series on uh, the last days and the kingdom and tribulation all that, you know my my viewership goes up exponentially with those kinds of lessons. I expect my numbers to be quite low on this one. So often it seems like we are we are t- uh, titillated by the maybe that's not the right word but you know what I mean we're we're, we're excited about the theology especially if we can argue for our position and fight others and do battle, you know, Car- Calvinists versus Arminians and so on. And how much time in comparison do we spend thinking through how much we love others? How much time do preachers spend preaching and teaching on loving others? It's it's our obligation owe nothing to anyone except the debt of love. We have to spend adequate time. We must, as Christians, spend adequate time evaluating our love for others and purposefully pursuing the good of others. And and he, he doesn't restrict this to Christians here. Elsewhere, yeah, we are told, The the priority is a household of faith, but he doesn't limit that here. Spend some time on that. Maybe ask the, the Spirit of God to reveal in your own heart how much devotion you have to loving others. And again, we need to define it correctly. It's not just having a good attitude toward them. It's actually working for their good, regardless of what you think of them, regardless of how they respond to you, regardless of what they have or haven't done for you. Just looking at the human beings that we come in contact with in our home, on our street, like literal neighbors, our coworkers, family. We have an obligation given By the Lord Jesus, through the Apostle Paul, an obligation, a debt to pay of doing and working toward good for others. Have you paid your debt today? Did you pay your debt yesterday? If you look back at yesterday, can you identify a pursuit of working toward the good of others? Renewed minds, transformed minds, pursue that, and that's us. Let's let's do that. All right. Let me catch up on a couple comments here, and then we will wrap it up. Uh, Dale back back in the text, he said, "I never really got Christians who insist that taxation is theft." I certainly think it it can be. I think if they go beyond their God given mandate. I would say that what they take beyond that is theft, but there is a certain point and we're not given the exact amount, right? But there's a certain point at which it's, it's not, they're not taken from us. We, God has obligated us to us. Uh, Rob says quite often, I think many assume that both kept and fulfill are essentially the same. Yeah. And they are, they're not. Child (laughs) says I'm cheating at games. No, I would never do that. Dale says, in D&D, we call them rules lawyers. Haha, <laughs> much like the Pharisees, they are often selective in their adherence as well. Yeah, it just, we, we slip into that in, uh, in life. Child of Elohim, imagine the condition of our world if we all lived and served each other, took one another's burdens. Indeed, Christians must lead the way in this and we can have a huge impact on the world by loving them. They don't They don't know what that looks like. That's not their nature. So that's our debt. That's our obligation. Fulfill your obligations today, brothers and sisters. And we will continue in Romans tomorrow. God bless.